Hi, and welcome to the Reef Roundup podcast, where we dive into marine conservation stories from around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Graham. And I'm Tamara, and we can't wait to dive into this episode. Join us and meet some of the many amazing people who are doing exciting work to save the ocean for future generations, with a focus on restoration, ecology, and the environment. We hope today's show is a wake-up call, but also brings you both hope and inspiration as you learn about the amazing work that's being done and how you too can be an ocean champion. Let's get started. So hello. Today we'll be talking to Margot, who is a marine biologist and the lead consultant of Marine Ecosystem Restoration Research and Consulting. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you guys today. Very excited to talk with you as well. And uh, so, yeah, j- just to kick it off, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about where you grew up and how you first got interested in the ocean and kind of your path to where you are now. Wow, that's a loaded question to start <laughs> uh, Well, yeah, so um, I actually grew up in the Principality of Monaco, which is uh, one of the smallest country in the world. Uh, but a pretty exciting place to grow up. It's also one of the country that has the, the strongest history in terms of ocean uh, science and, and conservation, especially now under the, the leadership of, of Prince Albert II, who was really, really involved in, in ocean conservation. Yeah, I grew up there, spent about, you know, my first 18 years of my life. And uh, it's a small country. Uh, it's actually the, the, the fun fact I learned the other week is that it's it's smaller than Central Park. The whole country itself is more than Central Park in New York. I really wanted to travel the world. And uh, I went uh, initially to do my studies in Australia, in, in Brisbane. I was interested in, in environmental sciences. That's where I first started to, to dive and, and sow my first corals and, and completely fell in love with coral reefs. So I decided that I wanted to switch from environmental sciences to, to marine biology. Traveled a little bit, did a lot of volunteering to figure things out. And, uh, and then I ended up doing both my master's and my PhD at James Cook University, which is also in Australia, but uh, on the, on the north, uh, northeast coast uh, off of the Great Barrier. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my path. And um, I, I finished my PhD about two years ago, and, and I started uh, getting involved in some consultancy work. And I opened my, my little firm, at MER, uh, Research and Consulting in Monaco, and, and I'm here now. What a path. <laughs> so um, a lot of our listeners are interested in pursuing a more active role in marine conservation. And well, so am I. <laughs> so what would you say, uh, what aspects of your education or your experience best prepared you for your current consulting work? Well, in terms of education, I, I really went all in, um, all the way to PhD. Um, I always tried to be a good student and work hard, and it actually got a lot easier for the years um, as the passion for what you're doing grows. There's also a, a trap in, in academia, you know, when you're doing your bachelor, everybody tells you, oh, but when you do your master's, and when you do a master's, everybody's saying, oh, well, when you do your PhD, <laughs> Kind of like get trapped in this in this cycle, but if you're meeting you know the right people and getting involved in, in projects that you're interested in, it, it's actually very enriching, and I'm, I'm I'm very glad that I did it. Education is important, but I, I I wouldn't say it's it's the most important. I've been very lucky to to travel around the world, and that from a very young age, thanks to to my parents who are very open minded. 
And I would say volunteering is really what, what opened things up uh, for me professionally. Uh, I, w- I volunteered on a range of eco projects. I looked at otters in Bra- Brazil, sharks in South Africa, and then corals in Thailand. I know you guys uh, have been to the New Heaven Reef Conservation Program in Thailand, and, and that's a wonderful one. Yeah, it definitely spark uh, sparked a big passion uh, for what I'm doing now. So I'm, I'm forever grateful to to that program and Chats Club specifically. And obviously, there's a big part of chance, so uh, which you need to push sometimes for sure. I've been told that. <laughs> I do still think that I got very lucky to to just meet so many wonderful people, both through the travels and university that that opened many doors for me. Amazing, and and yeah, just just an extra little plug because we have mentioned um, that Tamara and I met at uh, New Heaven, and ha- like just kind of mentioned it on the side, but didn't really dive into it. But yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic program there, and they are doing a lot of conservation work before anyone else and really kind of pushing the boundaries on it. So yeah, really exciting stuff. So, so what, what, what role, um, in regards to the United Nations environmental program and kind of the report that you've been working on and consulting on, uh, how, how does, how does that program, is it UNEP? Is that how? Yeah. UNEP, UNEP is the United Nations environmental program. The environmental program is is not just coral reefs, okay. uh, but yeah, they work on on a range of different ecosystems. Uh, the the group I work with are focused on on ocean ocean and coastal ecosystems. So there's a lot of work that also goes into seagrass and mangroves. But what's cool with them, from my perspective, they have this wonderful high level advisory role that is well respected internationally and that uh, a lot of people look up to so especially in terms of our involvement in the oceans it's pretty exciting at the moment they're lo- launching two new focus campaigns that are called the, the decades so there's a new decades on ocean science that was launched at the beginning of the year and there's also a decade on ecosystem restoration so that includes um, eight target ecosystems including uh, coastal and marine systems you know, that fits very well with, with the work we do on, on coral reef restoration. And both of those decades start this year. So it's 2021 to 2030. So it's exciting times. Now is the time. <laughs> so, yeah, you mentioned the UNEP Coral Restoration Report. But uh, besides that, what are some of the other uh, current activities or research that you're involved in? So many little things that add up. <laughs> <laughs> the best ones. The best ones. Yeah. You know, you, you, you start your day being like, oh, I have a chill day and then open your email and you're like, nope, nope. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm, I'm not complaining. Work is good. Um, I guess my activities have shifted a bit in the last few years. So from the pure scientific research I was doing when I was doing my PhD in Australia, I'm now more involved into uh, synthesis and, and reviews type of work. So looking at how to apply science to management facilitate the transfer of knowledge from scientists to the people who need it on the ground. So apart from the uh, United Nations Environment Program, I also work a lot with ECRI, which is the International Coral Reef Initiative. And we're actually with them currently working on a report looking at the funding landscape for coral reef restoration around the world. So trying to figure out uh, what type of money has been going into coral reef restoration lately, who funds what, and, and how we can uh, potentially provide recommendations on how to better fund those types of projects in the next decade. I'm also working with a group called the Reef Resilience Network. Uh, they're a branch of the Nature Conservancy, and they're really focused on building capacity for reef managers. And uh, they develop a lot of online courses and tools. They have a really cool website that I encourage everybody to check out. 
the Refresilience Network.org, I think. Uh, I'm helping them at the moment with developing online courses on Refresilience and Refresturation. And on the side, I'm still involved in the development of a few scientific papers with, with colleagues from around the world, which I'm very lucky to be to be involved in still. Wow. Amazing. And <laughs> it, it does sound like, you know, you probably, when you're opening your email, you don't even know what to expect your day. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a juggling effort, uh, but it's great. And it's it's also very varied type of work. So there's no no time to get bored on a specific project. You're like, no, I need to keep going. There's more stuff coming. So it's fun. Amazing. And and in, in this in this report that we kept keep referencing, um, which is, you know, the main focus of it is really looking at like coral conservation efforts around the world and which are, I guess, kind of best practices, right? And and the ways to really create impact when you're working in this space. Um so in regards to this report, there were several uh, areas listed as, as challenges for these projects. One was a lack of integration with threat abatement. Another was limited spatial scale for effective implementation, insufficient monitoring of effectiveness, and a lack of long-term stakeholder engagement. And if, if you could just kind of talk about the report generally, I know it's it's a 60-page report. Um, there are pictures, so maybe a little bit less than that. No one should feel intimidated by it. Um, and we'll make sure to link it on, on the website in case anyone wants to dive into that themselves. But uh, could you just talk a little bit about the project generally and maybe some of these areas of challenges and, and how they can be addressed? Yeah, sure. So um, so the report, it's a, it's a report that was prepared both for the uh, UNEP, so uh, United Nations Environmental Program, and ECRI, the International Coral Reef Initiative. And where it came from is that there was a resolution voted by what is called the United Nations Environmental Assembly back in 2019. And they wanted more information on the role that uh, coral reef restoration can play uh, to uh, secure and uh, protect reef ecosystem services. So coral reefs are uh, incredibly important for humanity as they provide billions and billions of dollars in, in ecosystem services, ranging from coastal protection to livelihoods, fisheries and tourism opportunities, but also potential, you know, medicine cabinet of the world with uh, untapped resources that we don't even know about. And there's a little bit of reluctance uh, around coral reef restoration in the in the high level spheres, uh, and mostly because it's it's such a brand new discipline compared to other types of management strategies. We've only been implementing reef restoration for about 20 years, and in terms of the science, it's even younger than that. So, so they needed a report to kind of like help test the water. Where are we at? What do we know? What are the methods? What are the goals? What works? What doesn't work? And what type of uh, recommendations can we give to to governments and and bodies that are looking to to implement coral reef restoration? So that's a little bit of the background of where this report is coming from. And I was very lucky to be able to put a team of about twenty global experts to work on it. So it was definitely not a solo effort and a wonderful uh, opportunity to to network and connect with all those wonderful people. And as you say, we came up with a set of recommendations. We provide a list of. Goals of restoration, I think that's one of the key recommendations and, and challenges that a lot of people see restoration as a planting coral exercise. So people go on the reef, they plant a few corals, they take pictures, 
put them on Instagram, check out how successful <laughs> is, which, you know, is great communication and engaging the public and providing hope. All of those are, are great points. But unfortunately, in terms of the science, we're seeing that there's no real long-term monitoring. A lot of the, the corals tend to die fairly quickly. You know, people think that you plant the corals and the reef will come back. Um, so, so the recommendations are, are mostly around this, you know, being able to articulate long-term goals beyond just a planting coral exercise, consider the type of ecosystem services that you may want to secure or see come back, uh, consider the type of people that you would like to, to have involved in the project, try to come together with a long-term monitoring plan that is specific to those goals and objectives that you're designing are very important points. We need people to design and implement projects with resilience. It's not a quick fix. It's a long-term game. Restoration isn't a re replacement for natural reefs. Do you want me to talk more in depth about specific challenges and opportunities or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think it would be good because I think a lot of our listeners are people who have at least you know, maybe tried out, a, you know, been a volunteer at a coral conservation project. If not, our, you know, some of our previous guests are also our listeners who are actually running coral reef conservation projects. So mm -hmm. really any takeaways and feel free to even go a little bit in the weeds if you, if you want, like yeah. takeaways would be really, I think, well appreciated by our audience and can actually like have a, the strong possibility of being taken to heart and implemented even. Of course. Well, I can take of, of some of the major challenges and opportunities. Big, biggest challenge, uh, I think, is that, well, coral restoration is a fairly new practice. Um, and it's it's motivated by the, the this real sense of urgency to protect reefs against climate change. The la latest report that are coming out are saying that, you know, if even under um, limited emission scenarios, it's very likely that most of the coral reefs uh, that we know and the associated ecosystem services could disappear by mid to, to the end of the century. So time for action is now. Climate action is obviously very important and should be put first and foremost on everyone's agenda. But uh, you know, we also need to intervene at local scales and, and do something proactively to, to protect the reefs. But in saying this, we need to act fast, but we're still figuring out how things work. And that's a big challenge. So we can learn from decades of other restoration practices in, in other types of ecosystems. So it's the balance between not reinventing the wheel and learning from what's been done in other ecosystems, but also cater to coral reefs specifically, uh, which can become very challenging. So in, in your question, Graham, you mentioned, you know, uh, issues with limited scales, which is one of the biggest challenge. Um, so the scales at which restoration can be applied is definitely a problem. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, exciting work in research and development at the moment, looking at scaling up efforts and that in both uh, space and time. So for example, it include incorporating new research on novel-based restoration uh, or, or thinking big scales on how we can you know, grow thousands and thousands of corals with microfragmentations in, in land nurseries and then trying to see how those can be then planted back on the reef. So. You know, this, this project's in, in Australia with the Reef Restoration Adaptation Program, for example, the RAP program. And they're, and they're really thinking in, in large-scale capacity of having those warehouses of, of corals to, to plant on the reef. And, you know, why not? This, the sky is the limit. It's, it's a grand challenge that, that we need to fix. And I think we need to be a little bold. Other challenges, I think, is the, the need to integrate coral reef restoration with broader management strategies. 
Um, so we need to think beyond planting corals. There's a lot more than just planting corals to bring a coral reef back. We need to think of principles of ecological integrity, genetic and functional uh, redundancy, uh, the physical integrity of the reef, uh, reef ecosystem health principles, coral diseases, for example, uh, water quality and having, you know, those filter feeding organisms like sponges on the reefs is also incredibly important. Uh, consider components of ecological succession. If you want fish to come back, you know, what, what type of fish do you want to come back and, and how are you going to design your reef restoration project with, with that in mind? And also the connectivity to other important ecosystems like mangroves and seagrasses, for example, could be, uh, could really facilitate the, the success of the, the restoration efforts in the long term. And finally, I'd said one of the biggest challenges to not oversell restoration for what it's not. And that was a big focus of, of that report that we published, that we need to communicate and collaborate more effectively. We don't want people to think that you can plant a few corals on the reef and that's it. You know, you've saved it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of opportunities out there and we have a lot to learn. Of course, you know, planting corals back on the reef can be a great starting point. But it needs to be integrated in other management strategies. It needs to be carefully thought through reef resilience in mind with climate change in mind. We need to integrate a range of stakeholders, make sure that the local communities approve the project and support the projects and can somehow benefit from it. And then, exactly. in, yeah, then in terms of yeah, communication and collaboration, there's, there's also opportunities. There's great groups out there. There's the Coral Restoration Consortium and, and also the International Coral Reef Initiative. Uh, there's lots of you know, ways to to share the research, connect with managers and practitioners. And I think we're going to learn by doing. So we need to share both successes and failures more and more effectively. Yeah, the the section of the UNEP report that was talking about realism within coral restoration, that was especially interesting to me because uh, I've commonly heard that doing anything to help the environment is better than doing nothing. But maybe some people would say that that's not always the case. So how would you respond to some of these uh, criticisms of coral reef restoration? Yeah, that's the tough one, huh? <laughs> Big debate about should we invest in climate change mitigation or should we invest in, you know, interventions on the ground like restoration is is a big one. And I personally think that the, the debate itself is completely obsolete because as we say in the report, it's not an either or situation. So right. it's not it's not because you're going to invest in coral restoration that you're completely disregarding the fact that we need climate action. The reality is that if we don't intervene on the ground, you can reduce emissions and stop climate change, but the reefs are still going to die from warm water temperatures and increased frequency and intensity of storms and other types of disturbances that, that affect them. And with the coral reef dying, we, we're losing precious ecosystems and it's impacting all of us, really. So really, the, the, the key response to that, I guess, is it's not an either or situation. We need both to happen concurrently. And we need to make sure that people involved in coral reef restoration communicate that very effectively. There's benefits at local scales. We're not restoring reefs at large scale. We're not saving all the reefs. But we're doing something at local scales, which hopefully will, will benefit broader processes. Yeah. So, so, so like what, what one of the primary goals that we set out with when we started this podcast was to really, you know, like recreational scuba diving is something that Tamara and I both started with and then got interested in the conservation component. 
And then of course there's like kind of like a giant or like at least a gap between there and, you know, the marine science field doing like kind of the hardcore science research. And so if you were thinking about kind of like recreational diving all the way to just like the conservation efforts and then, you know, up into the marine science and, you know, all, all those people who have PhDs in this, but are relatively few compared to the million new dive recreational divers that are certified each year. Like what, what would you recommend as kind of like things that people can do along that spectrum of, you know, knowledge that they're starting with to, you know, make it make an impact? Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And yeah, that's, that's one that we see a lot. And once that's, one that's bothered me a lot because obviously I'm a very keen diver and I, I started, you know, as a recreational diver and that's where, you know, the interest and the passion grows in terms of coral reef restoration specifically. And, and I talk about this with my colleagues often, like we're, we're in the science, you know, uh, mindset of everything. And we have all those grand ideas of, oh, you know, reef restoration, it needs to be integrated. We need to think of fish. We need to think of other ecosystems that are connected. And then, you know, you're on the ground and you have this, this dive program of this hotel that's involved in restoration, they're trying their best to do good work, but don't have access to the science. So I think we're making it this mission. And, and the main goal of this report is, is again, to communicate more effectively about, you know, what coal restoration can be and how to improve uh, the efficiency and the effectiveness of implementations on the ground. Now, uh, if, I, if I look back to, uh, to recreational divers and what they can do. I think volunteering is always my number one advice. Like there's so many programs out there that, that need, you know, a lot of hands to, and, and some funding as well to, to help them grow and help them keep going. Uh, and, you know, you, you learn by doing, and, you know, not only are you having fun, but it, it's also a great way, way to help. Yeah. I would also say to not be shy to contact people that you would like to connect with. You never know what that can lead to. You know, worst case scenario, that person disregards your email or forgets to respond, and but at least you've tried, and you know, and you never know. Um, there's a great opportunity now to join networks and follow discussions. So, as mentioning the, the Coral Restoration Consortium and the International Coral Reef Initiative, anybody can get on these mailing lists and get updates, and you know, has the opportunity to access not just scientific papers, which can be hard to read, but there's lots of cool new content that are coming out in videos or in, you know, reports or those type of things. Okay. And, I, you know, for me, one of the silver lining of the pandemic is this such a bigger opportunities to access lots of really cool online content, even conferences. So I think that, that people who want to get involved may have opportunities through those avenues. I like what one kind of just follow up question would be for the people who are the brand new divers, right? And who just like, you know, discover this magical new paradise and and want to get involved. I guess it, it sounded like you were focused mainly on like, just kind of like educating themselves. Is that right? Kind of like building from where they are to that next step of maybe making a direct impact or? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm a scientist. Education, education, <laughs> education. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, for, for me, as I as I was started, the realization that the coral was this was an animal and not just a colorful rock was mind blowing. Yeah. 
and, you know, realizing how fragile it is and, you know, how you can have a negative and positive impact when you dive. So uh, look up the dive shop that you're working with, make sure that, you know, they have responsible diving practices. Um, And, you know, this beyond restoration, there's just so much that can be done between beach cleanups and underwater cleanups and sharing your passion for something. Talk about it. People don't know about coral reefs, you know, so... The people who are lucky to go travel and dive and, and discover those environments, like just chatting with it with your family and friends can sometimes also have a super positive impact. Yeah. Great. I, I, I don't know. This is kind of an aside, but I, I don't know if you saw the Patty is launching on like World Ocean Day this year, a new initiative where any, any professional, like, you know, dive master and above or any uh, paddy dive center can now list conservation projects and paddy will take a 5% cut of whatever you're charging to do this conservation effort. And so it's kind of this, you know, like for me, you know, my background is public policy and I'm like happy that this is happening in a way that it could bring like a bigger spotlight to this. But at the same time, you know, like based on your research, especially, it's like, we don't need to be doing necessarily like more bad or not (laughs) great conservation efforts. We need to be doing more like really focused ones. So, um, yeah, Yeah. it's an interesting, I think it's like such an important space that your research is focused on right now, given the fact that I think in diving generally, this is like a new a new thing that is kind of almost becoming popular, and yet the science isn't necessarily integrated into a lot of the projects. Yeah, it's, it's the double-edged sword, right? Like there's, there's increased interest and people, people want to get involved and people want to do something. But then at the same time, we need to make sure that they do things right because there's a real potential to do more harm than good. And I think that's one of the biggest worry, right? We don't want to... To have people start, you know, dumping things underwater and call it an artificial reef and, you know, take, take some picture and miscommunicate about it. Right. Um, I, I know that there's a real uh, need and, and, and will from the tourism industry specifically uh, to have uh, guidelines on, on how to implement reef restoration projects. And I'm actually working with the Nature Conservancy and the UNEP on a Caribbean-based program. So we're trying to talk to the tourism industry and understand their needs specifically in terms of what types of guidelines and information they would need. So I know that there is work in that space to, to try and how can I say that in a smart way? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to try and address the concerns that you have, Ram, like making sure that, you know, it's, we have more conservation projects and more refrigeration projects happen all over the world because we need those to happen. Make sure that they happen in a way that benefits the environment and doesn't do more harm than good. So where can our listeners find out more about your work if they're interested? Well, I, I actually have a website. Uh, it's uh, merconsulting.org. Um, and I try and, and update things uh, as I go as much as possible. And I'm, I'm also quite active on, on Twitter. And it's only to share uh, cool science content. I don't, I don't follow movie stars yet. <laughs> share movie star content. Uh, so yeah, my, my handle is, uh, I think it's just Margot Hine. I think that's a good starting point. And uh, like Graham said, we'll also put this UNEP report up on our website. 
Yes. So uh, yeah, you can put it on your website. Otherwise, yeah, everything is free to download off of my off of my website as well. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. This is so interesting to me, actually, because I was also interested in uh, going into consulting. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thanks for inviting me. And any last thoughts or words you want to leave our, our listeners with before we close out? Yeah, sure. I think I think I'd say never underestimate your impact, um, both positive and negative that you can have. And if I'm being philosophical, I'd say, you know, it goes with with your work connection, but also importantly, with your relationships with both the reef and, and our wonderful planet. So I think in in our day and age, it's it's easy to think that, oh, other people are doing this or oh, no, me doing this doesn't matter. Uh, but in my experience, everybody matters and, and be confident, get out there and, and try. Hopefully things will work out. We all have we all have our fingers crossed and our, our working <laughs> boots on. Hopefully, and be optimistic. It's important to be optimistic. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank thank you so much for joining us again. We'll make sure to get all the links up and uh, links to your website, and we look forward to hopefully having you back sometime in the future as well as this podcast grows and our audience grows, and and just like to continue sharing all the amazing work that you're you're doing. Sure, I'd love to. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Reef Roundup podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to add us on Instagram at Reef Roundup for news about the ocean, inspiring stories, and more. You can also find more about us as well as our guests at reefroundup.com. We release a new episode every two weeks. See See you soon. soon.